out there, gang. Look out there. I'm on my way, and I ain't gonna let you off the hook. You hear that, baby? You ain't getting off the hook. So you just sit up here on my knee, and we'll tell you a little story, eh? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I know you're very sensitive. Hey, listen, uh, we have a very special little thing here tonight. And uh, before we get involved in it, I'd like to give you a few little... Uh, Clues. If you're if you're uh, if you're a, a tape recording cuckoo, get your tape recorder out and uh, get it all set up. Uh, you know that that's a that's a, a new hobby that a lot of people are not aware of. I guess uh, they will be eventually when uh, life does a piece on it. You know, somebody official. But uh, it's it's largely uh, well, it's it's the only it's a hobby that can only be at this time. Uh, nobody could have even had this type of hobby. Say. Uh, uh, 25 years ago, or even 10 years ago, uh, to a large extent. And the hobby involves tape recordings that uh, a lot of people uh, have uh, begun to mess around with their tape recorder in uh, different ways. That is, as opposed to the old way, you know, recording a birthday greeting, the baby's first words, you know, all of that, uh, that really, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, what they're doing these days, a lot of particular kids are tape recording stuff they hear off the air for their own files, you know, stuff that you can't buy on records and so on. I mean, you know, like uh, radio shows and uh, even even some guys, you know, have uh, have a file, a personal file of significant newscasts. That might be interesting. Uh, yeah. In fact, I know one guy who has who has uh, like great uh, in significant newscasts that go back to about 1960, and he has in his own personal files uh, stuff like uh, uh, descriptions of the John F. Kennedy's assassination. You remember the day when all that happened? And he recorded a lot of that stuff. He's got stuff about uh, uh, Johnson getting in. He has all kinds of stuff about demonstrations, and he even has uh, stuff on the Vietnamese War and, and uh, all the way up to the present day, all kinds of wild newscasts that are about stuff that, uh, you know, 25, 50 years from now, people are going to say, gee, you know, it must have been one fantastic day. And this guy's got uh, tape recordings of it. But this uh, this is all part of the whole new tape recorder scene. And if you've got a tape recorder, set it up. Now, you, you've, uh, we've gotten a lot of letters. I uh, personally have gotten many letters from people in the last couple of years, particularly in the last year or so, about a specific subject. Uh, if you remember here a few months back, a month or so ago, maybe so, maybe longer, a few months back, we did a show. In fact, we've done a show every year for the past three or four years at Princeton University in Princeton, New Jersey. And that show has been uh, put together and, and sponsored by the Princeton University radio station, which is uh, the call sign of it is WPRB. Now, a lot of you people who listen to radio... Uh, you know, just casual radio listeners, guys who ride around in their car, people just turn on the radio when they're going to go to bed or they turn it on in the morning to get the news and the time. Don't realize that radio, possibly you don't, and many people even in the business are not aware of this, that radio has become a really tremendously expanding medium in the last two or three years, particularly in the experimental area. Now, uh, most people think of radio today, and it's a, a sad thing that they do, even people in the business, as a kind of an electronic record player. You know, just uh, get yourself a big uh, record player, put an antenna on it, put a 50,000-watt 
transmitter in between the antenna and the player, and you're in business. And this is literally what many of them do, you know, just records night and day. And uh, that means then that radio is really, in in the very real sense, a an appliance. They simply say, instead of you playing the records, we'll play records. And uh, you don't have to change records. We'll, we'll play them for you. And they continue to play the same thing over and over again. And this is the idea that many people have of radio. Then, of course, there's the other idea of radio, that uh, radio is nothing but people reading news all day long. This, uh, this is uh, the opposite extreme, and yet it's the same sort of thing. One is all records, the other is all news. So uh, there is another type of radio. You could call it third-world radio, which is really radio that is devoted to people who are attempting to create something on it and use it as a, as a personal means of expression, like a... Uh, a, a kind of a, well, it's an art form, really, in many ways, and it can be an art form in the right hands. I'm not talking about the old days. Don't don't assume that I'm saying the old days when they did the Mercury Theater and all that sort of thing. That's that's a, that's a, out of the past. And as a matter of fact, I, I didn't think that the, those really were particularly in, in the art form sense because they they really were doing stuff that could have uh, well have been done on stage. But the stuff I'm talking about is the stuff that is pure sound that uh, is pure sound. And uh, there has been a great change in, in attitude throughout the college radio. College radio is something that a lot of people have never heard. Have you ever heard it yourself, John? You have. I see. Well, a lot of people haven't. I think many people uh, generally listen to the regular radio stations in their town, and that's about it. They turn on the radio every morning at the time, and and uh, they don't think much about radio. But all over the country, there are radio stations of varying power. Some of them uh, have very little power, like uh, maybe 5 watts, 10 watts. And they're on campuses. Uh, almost every college these days has a little radio station. Some of them don't even broadcast in the con uh, conventional sense. They, they operate what they call uh, wired wireless radio, which is to say the, the signal is fed into the power lines and can be picked up only on the campus. And so guys in the dormitory can tune in on the, the little radio station, and the kids are, whoever they are, they're doing this thing. Now, those that's one extreme. Then there's the other extreme of, of radio uh, of campuses where they actually have a radio station. Uh, and uh, there are stations like the University of Illinois, the University of Wisconsin, uh, up in Dartmouth, and a lot of radio stations. They actually have radio stations that can be heard by people throughout the area. Now, a lot of you have never heard, like here in town, we have, we have several here in, in New York City, Fordham, a few others, uh, have, have radio stations. And I wanted, tonight, I, I just thought that you might get a, a big kick out of this. I know you'll get a kick out of it. Uh, I want to give you excerpts from a, a real, actual, on-the-air radio station, a college radio station, and what they sound like. Or at least what this one sounds like. They all sound different. Let's put put it that way. And that's the thing that makes them interesting. Uh, the idea of using radio creatively has not spread to all the stations. Many of the stations are still hung on the on the record thing, but uh, they're beginning to rapidly change. And here's one. I, I brought I brought back some excerpts from WPRB, and I got you know I talked to the boys. I said I'd love to play some of this stuff on the air. So. Uh, if you if you be you know if you'd be interested in hearing what what this kind of radio sounds like, get your tape recorder going, and you'll have some samples of college radio. Now to begin with, uh, just a minute, I've got the rundown. 
When I played the the uh, campus there, I played the campus at WPRB's request and and under their sponsorship, and uh, they they earn money on it. And it use they use it to keep their radio station going full swing and buy new equipment and stuff. WPRB is located right on the campus of uh, Princeton. Princeton, if you've never visited it, the campus is in the town of Princeton, which is, uh, oh, maybe uh, 20 miles or so from Trenton, and it's maybe 60 or so odd, maybe 65 miles from New York City. And they <laughs> they have a they have a pretty good listening audience in the Princeton area, and you're going to see why. Now, this... Uh, this uh, when I came up there, you ready in there, John? When I came up to do my show, before I came up, Princeton put together a series of of uh, promotional spots, little uh, announcements that they played on their radio station to advertise my appearance on the campus, which was Alexander Hall. This is a yearly event. Now here's the kind of stuff they did to promote my appearance. I just wanted to let you know the kind of uh, what, uh, let's put it this way. This is third stream commercials. Now, here's, here's, uh, here's an example of one. Let's, let's hear this first one. Hit it, John. number one uh, that's their first spot and that was recorded of course uh, if you've never heard the kind of commercial that they were doing a satire on that's the usual uh, thrill dynamite demolition derby type spot racing saturday night all come one hour and uh, that was number one i hope you got it recorded and by the way don't call up and meet you oh, my tape recorder didn't start on time play it over again you missed it again kid all right, here is another one of the same series. And uh, this, this again, as I say, it was a promotion for the college appearance that I made a few months ago on the campus. And it was produced, of course, by the students and played on WPRB, the college radio station. So you, <laughs> you can see that, uh, that there is another way to look at commercials. WPRB is pleased to announce that Gene Shepard is returning to Princeton Saturday, November 6th, at 8.30 p.m. in Alexander Hall on the Princeton University campus. This will be Shepard's fourth Princeton appearance and follows three previous sellout performances. T tickets for Gene Shepard's Princeton concert are on sale at the Pr Princeton University store, 36 University Place in Princeton, or, or by mail from WPRB. All you have to do is send a self-addressed stamp envelope to Gene Shepard, care of WPRB, Box 342, Princeton, New Jersey, 08540. All seats are reserved and cost $3. Oh, dear. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I like that one. I, that last touch at the end there was just a touch of genius. Oh, dear. Uh... For those of you who are curious about names, the two people who are involved in these particular spots are Bob Baker and Don Smalley, who work together on these, and they're students and fellow workers on WPRB, the Princeton radio station. So I'm giving you an idea what what college radio sounds like, or at least one college radio station sounds like. you find this interesting, John? I do. I, I, I've been for a long time, I've been almost a solitary lone advocate of college radio, and I've done stuff for WPRPI, uh, which is up at Rochester Polytechnic Institute, uh, out at Seton Hall. These are all various radio stations I've had things to do with. Uh, gee, what's the school out in Queens? Uh, I've the Queens College. Uh, let's see some of the other stations that I've, oh, I've been involved in dozens of stations. I don't want to slight anybody, but the one over at Newark, Newark College of Engineering. All these are little radio stations that the students run and operate themselves with practically no budget. It's a, it's a, it's a struggle all the time for them to even keep a soldering iron hot. Uh, speaking, of, this is W O R New York. <laughs> speaking of low budgets, and uh, do you, <laughs> I'm sorry. Listen, will you fools and knaves out there quit calling up the station to find out the address and where to order your bird? It's a little silly, you know, for the radio station to be telling you where to buy a bird that flaps its wings and flies. So uh, write it down right now. It's Flying Birds. This is the address. If you don't know what we're talking about, there are wild little things that this Frenchman, whose name I will not even attempt to pronounce, Guy de Ronbeck. Anyway, he spent three years trying to invent a bird that would fly. When you wind it up, you wind it up little rubber band in it, and it flaps its wings, and off it goes. And it actually flies. It's an ornithopter. And it is guaranteed to fly, which is more than your uncle is. It's guaranteed to fly, and will go 600 feet at whatever altitude you set the little tail to. And I suggest you don't fly this thing much during duck season. Nothing matter than a Jersey hunter that's just shot down a plastic bird, I'll tell you. But uh, nevertheless, uh, if you'd like to order one of these great little things, they're maddening, uh, I would suggest you put a check or a money order in the mail and don't make it out to me, for God's sakes. Make it out to Flying Birds, that's spelled flying, you know how to spell flying, birds, B-U-R-D-S, Flying Birds, Department S, S is in whatever you want to make it in, Department S, P.O. Box 1909, 19, as they say, 1909. 1909, Post Office Box 1909, Grand Central Station, New York, New York. Where else? 1017. Okay, that's enough for the birds. Hey, uh, we have a note here uh, for Kasha. You know, Kasha is. Vivandi Carlo played her in the movie. And uh, it's just wonderful, Kasha, the sinister Eurasian slave girl. And uh, Kasha is a centuries old popular food staple of Eastern Europe. And a healthful one, too, I'm quoting it here, because kasha, wolf's kasha, that is, is made from golden brown buckwheat groats that are filled with all kinds of vitamins and minerals, plus a generous supply of protein. And that means wolf's kasha goes great with meat, fish, or chicken, or even by itself as a truly unusual dessert or breakfast food. And it can be served in soups and vegetables. You can make it into popsicles by freezing it. And it works great. You mix it up in your mixer, pour in a can of beer, a little Benedictine, 
However, we'll send off a Wolf's Kasha recipe book with unique hints on how to prepare kasha in a wide variety of exciting ways and a wide variety of main courses. That's Wolf's Kasha. Do you want to hear another one? Now, here's another spot that they made, and then after that, I'll, I'll let you hear one of their wild, uh, after a couple of these spots, I'll let you hear one of their great uh, dramatic presentations. Now, here's another spot that they put together, and all these were produced and done with a minimum of equipment and uh, a, a lot of work in the stations themselves, in their studios, using tape recorders and so forth. And these were all done to promote this particular appearance. You want to hear another? Uh, we're Don, uh, just stay in here for one minute. This Don Cricky just came in. Don, we're playing excerpts from a college radio station. You know, a lot of people never heard college radio. And uh, this happens to be from, from uh, W, uh, th in this case, it's WPRB, the Princeton radio station. And they, they promoted uh, an appearance I did there here a few months ago by putting a whole series of spots on their radio station, after which I'm going to do a, some of their dramatic shows. You'll hear some wild dramatic stuff that uh, the college radio station does, which gives you an idea that a lot can be done with radio that isn't being done these days. Here's another one of those spots. Hey, listen, keep it down over there. i got to make a telephone call. Hey, quiet, would you? These people don't want to like these days. I said keep it down. <coughs> Hello, Hyde. This is Harry. Uh, listen, Hyde, it's about your boy Gene Shepard. He... What? Yeah, Ruth and the kids are fine. Listen, Hyde. Well, you know, business is business. Not great, but not bad either. Look, Hyde, I got that Gene Shepard fellow of yours a booking. Yeah, uh, Princeton, New Jersey, and Alexander Hall. What do you mean, not good enough? Not good enough? Well, look, it ain't the Waldorf, but... Well, sure, he's funny, right? But he ain't no Phyllis Diller, and what with the recession, I think it's a pretty good... What? Yeah, Saturday, November 6th at 8.30. Yeah, tickets are $3. Yeah, well, it's cheap, but he ain't Ed Sullivan, and he ain't no Phyllis... All right, Hyde. All right, I'll take care of it. Goodbye. Not good enough. You think this Gene Shepard was some kind of Jackie Mason? <laughs> hey, Don, Don, before you go, wait a minute, Don. You're in the sport field. Would you please, Don Crickey's in the control room, the, the guy who does the great stuff on, on pro football. Would you, John, would you reset the racing spot quick? Get him the racing spot. Uh... I think this is one of the funniest ones that they did there at, at WPRB. So if you kids missed this, we get your tape recorder going because we're going to replay the great satire they did on the Thrill Circus spot. And uh, Don Craig, Don, you went to Notre Dame, didn't you? Well, they got a station out there, don't they? What's their call sign? Would you write it on a, on a thing there? Don Crickey went to Notre Dame, and he was going to give me their call. You got it all set? WSND is it is it a closed circuit or is it broadcast so that the people in South Bend can hear it? Closed circuit. Well, this one happens to be able to be heard. Uh, WPRB is heard throughout the Princeton area. And now here is one of their spots. I'm going to repeat this one so that Don can hear it. He just came in the control room. Uh, this this is a another one of the spots they did to promote the appearance we did there. And I think this one has a, a curious stroke of genius to it. <laughs> Saturday! Saturday! Incredible Alexander Hall! 
Gene Shepard. This Saturday, November 6th, supercharged Gene Shepard races down the Route 22 of life. Gene, the madman Shepard talking 200 miles an hour for two hours without stopping. Pops the clutch and front wheel after flies 13 feet into the air. Gene, that level Shepard blow his head gasket. Not until next time will you see Gene Nitromethane Shepard. Tickets available at the Princeton University store. Or by mail from WBRB, Box 342, Princeton, New Jersey, 08540. All seats are reserved and cost only $3. No free parking available. Racing begins at 8.30. Saturday! <laughs> These are great. All right, now, uh, for, for the guys that collect name credits, thank you, Don. For guys that collect name credits, uh, the two guys on these spots, these particular spots, are uh, Bob Baker and Don Smalley. We had a great time doing them. Now, uh, we've got another one. You've, you've just heard the booking. You heard the agent spot. And uh, listen carefully to this one. Uh, this, this one here uh, has to be heard very carefully. And one has to, uh, uh, well, listen carefully. Okay, hit it. Gene Shepard has universal appeal. So universal, in fact, is his appeal that his November 6th concert on the Princeton University campus is sold out. There are a few remaining standing room seats, and they may be purchased at the Princeton University store for $3. WPRB would like to thank all of those who bought tickets, and we imagine that Shep would also. Those were that uh, sound in the back. Well, could you replay that one, John? Just set reset that one in case you you've uh, missed the subtleties of this one. Uh, they played an excerpt at this point uh, <laughs> that was recorded at WPRB. See, WPRB every year I go down there, they record the concert in their own radio station for their own files. That is, they record the show that I do there. And this particular spot is a spot that uses one of the recordings from last year's show that uh, what you're hearing in the background, all that laughter and so on, is actually from the tape of the show that I had done the year before there. Now, listening with it, listening to it with that knowledge, you'll see uh, what, what he's referring to. Okay, bring it on, John. Gene Shepard has universal appeal. <laughs> So universal, in fact, is his appeal that his November 6th concert on the Princeton University campus is sold out. There are a few remaining standing room seats, and they may be purchased at the Princeton University store for $3. WPRB would like to thank all of those who bought tickets, and we imagine that Shep would also. <laughs> oh, man, these are, these are fun. And uh, in case you wonder what in the daylights you're listening to, uh, if you just tuned in, we're doing some, uh, so that uh, people can get an idea what it's like, we're doing some excerpts from the work of one particular college radio station that I've been interested in for a long time, and that's the station at Princeton, New Jersey, the uh, Princeton College, Princeton University, uh, excuse me, University, the Princeton University station, WPRB. Now, uh, I, I, what I'm going to do here in the next uh, six months or so, I'm going to try to get some samples of the work of a lot of college radio stations around the country, ranging all the way from the station at the University of Washington. I had to be out there a few months ago uh, doing a book signing 
out in the state of Washington. I have some stuff from them, and I'm going to try to get stuff from a lot of other stations, including the one up in Rochester and the ones from around this area, so that you can hear what really is being done on college radio. Now, this is something I think uh, you get a kick out of, at least I did, that uh, they they decided that they wanted to do some of their own tongue-in-cheek drama stuff. And uh, they got a bunch of students together, and periodically they re- they record a, a dramatic presentation from the pages of Doc Savage. Now, for those of you who don't know what Doc Savage is, Doc Savage was a character and is a character, if you can pick up any of the old yellowed copies of it. Doc Savage is the name of a magazine that appeared sometime around the early 40s, late 30s, early 40s, and was one of a whole series of uh, of uh, magazines, pulp magazines, that involved the the, uh, the fantastic exploits of various characters. And these uh, these magazines had as characters uh, people who I mean they they were unbelievable. They they were they were far more adept at whatever they did than say uh, James Bond. Uh, one of the most famous characters of that period and in those magazines was G8, who was a pilot. G8 and his battle aces. He was a pilot who flew a spad against the Red Baron. And if you think Snoopy's had some adventures, you ought to read G8. Well, uh, <laughs> they had all kinds of magazines. There were spicy western, spicy adventure, spicy detective. These were all borderline pornies. And uh, if you think pornography is new, you should have seen spicy western. If you can imagine, uh, you know, uh, jazzy doings on the old corral, this is the kind of stuff it was. Now, uh, one of the most famous characters of that genre of literature was Doc Savage. Doc Savage. And Doc Savage, of course, was uh, was mysterious. He was uh, dynamic. And he was a fantastic fighter against sin of all types. And so the boys uh, got permission from the owners of the Doc Savage uh, rights and all that to do these pieces. And, and were, were uh, using that uh, particular... Uh, uh, that particular uh, courtesy tonight. And this was done on WPRB to show you what kind of stuff they do dramatically on radio stations today in the college world. Uh, I'll give you the names involved. These are the guys. Gary Smedley is the narrator on this thing. Scott Gervey, Tom Kendrick, Bob Baker again, Rob, Rob Hewell, Alan Konefsky, and Mark Hahn, who was the engineer on this thing. So these are the kids that all got together and did this particular episode of Doc Savage. And uh, so now I want you to sit back, turn out the lights, and you will hear a dramatic moment in the life of Doc Savage, who was a fantastic crime fighter and who fought evil of all sorts as he was heard over WPRB, the college radio station on the Princeton University campus. Don't open it, men. In hotels like this, they don't deliver telegrams without calling up first from the desk. Shove it under the door. There was a nervous silence. <laughs> Rennie's bulky fist came splittering through the heavy panel door. In a flash, Rennie, Long Tom, and Johnny were in the room. The mayhem was instantaneous. Don't shoot, men. The noise will arouse the hotel. Our heroes were outnumbered by about three to one, but held their own very well. Johnny and Long Tom, though not much to look at, were highly skilled in the manly arts of hand-to-hand combat. This they had learned in the Great War. 
Really, even more so, was a formidable foe. His massive fists and Gundy's men carooming off the wall. Furniture skidded around, crashed together and upset. Just as it began to look as if Doc's men could overcome the odds, the weight of numbers began to tell. First, Johnny fell, hailed from behind with an old iron bottle. Then Long Tom succumbed beneath the punishing attack of some five or six thugs. With Long Tom and Johnny out of the way, the full force of the battle fell upon Reddy. The giant felt himself retreating. He backed up against a window and was forced through the glass. He managed to get a hold upon the window molding and dangled there, eight floors above the teeming traffic. He felt his grip weakening. Yeah, okay, that was, uh, uh, is that all? They don't have the fight scene on it, do they? Sure they do. Uh, that was, uh, Doc Savage fighting it out there, and, uh, <laughs> I, I like, I like the, uh, the, the kind of, uh, tongue-in-cheek performances on this thing, and, uh, for those of you who tuned in late and wonder what the, what the daylight's, you know, what the devil this all is, this is, uh, excerpts from the, uh, program, uh, log, actually, from WPRB, the radio station in the Princeton, New Jersey campus. What happened there? Uh, what, tell me what's going on so I know what you're doing, fellas. Is it all over now? That's it. Well, I'm afraid they didn't include the part that I wanted them to include. You've got the fight scene. I can't hear what you're saying. T tell me, Jerry, on phone. I can't... That You haven't yet... Learned, yeah... Oh, well, that isn't the part that I hoped they'd send, so I'm sorry. Uh, they, they included uh, too, too short a piece because the, 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 the rest of this thing had the most fantastic extended fight scene that went on and on and on. Uh, what they did here was just to, you know, give me a little bit of it, and that's not enough. But uh, anyway, on that uh, excerpt there from uh, Doc Savage, we heard uh, such uh, stellar performers as Gary Smedley, the narrator, uh, Scott Gervey, Tom Kendrick, Bob Baker... Rob Hewell, Alan uh, Konevsky, and Mark Hahn, who was the engineer on that. I wish, uh, I wish, however, we could heard, heard the sequence where uh, where uh, Doc himself enters the scene. See, they didn't have that sequence in there. So, if uh, you'll take a note, Jerry, and take this following note, tell tell us uh, we can get in touch with WPRB and have them send the rest of this thing. They they just sent me the. It's like sending the wrapping off the salami. You know, and say, hey, I sent you to Salami. What do you mean you sent me to Salami? But uh, <laughs> maybe that's the difference between the amateur and the pro. He always quite, never quite uh, takes advantage of his advantage. Uh, the pro always does. You make a mistake against the Yankees and you're in trouble. However, that was uh, uh, sections from some of the stuff that the PRB has broadcast lately. And, uh, you know, the thing that I, I find interesting about this is that uh, at last the uh, college radio stations are beginning to break away from the old mold that many of them had, which was not a very good one, unfortunately. And that is the mold that, uh, that they felt uh, what they should do in their college radio stations was to imitate and, and if, if possible, uh, completely uh, emulate the local rocker. Uh, whatever the local rock station was and whatever the one that they particularly listened to, that's what they did on their own station, which, of course, didn't make much sense because, after all, why listen to the imitation of a rocker when you can hear the real thing on the dial much louder? So, but that's, that's what they did. 
So uh, that's beginning to change, and uh, a lot of the people who are involved in college radio are beginning to explore the medium. And you know, uh, it uh, it may come as a considerable surprise to a lot of uh, people who have been out of college for a year or two, or maybe longer, that uh, that there's a current crop of people coming up in colleges who are far more interested in radio than they are television. Uh, curiously enough, the earl- older generation is all involved in television. And uh, I think, in fact, the older the person is, the more you'll find him devoted to television. And, and to the extent, ultimately, where you find many people who are totally involved in television, they don't even own a radio. Uh, the only radio they may own in their house, is, if they own one at all, is possibly in their car. And at which point they only turn it on once in a while to make sure that they get the time or or I get the, something to to uh, let them know what the traffic is doing, and that's that's about the extent of it. But that is uh, a part, and I hate to say it, uh, but in this case I do believe that uh, Marshall McLuhan was right. That I think part of the so-called generation gap that we have today is in many ways a media gap. That uh, that the older people are squatting in front of their TV set night after night, watching the same old movies and watching the same old panel discussions on the same old talk shows. And uh, up in his room, the uh, kid is sitting up there, and he's got his radio going full blast. And he's not listening to rock. He's he's listening to an entirely different scene. He's he's listening to the Barry Farbers. He's listening to well, he's listening to me. He's listening to a lot of different people. And downstairs in the same house. The people who are sitting in front of the TV set don't even know these people exist <laughs> that, his, that his kid is listening to, and millions of kids like them. So there you go with a, with a gap. See, a few years back, I and mean, it hasn't been so long really historically, I'm talking historically here, uh, people in a family were exposed to the same things. In other words, uh, let's assume, well, let's take a family of the late 40s, uh, before the advent of television and uh, multiple magazines and so forth, the average family would get a couple of magazines delivered to it a month, maybe the Saturday Evening Post, maybe the Reader's Digest. Uh, they'd get the same newspaper. The newspaper would arrive, and it would be uh, the Chicago Tribune, if you lived in that area, and if you were in New York, it might be the Times or the Herald Tribune or maybe the News. And then uh, there was one other medium that they had. They would have the radio. And they usually listen to the same show. So they'd all sit around and, and uh, on a Sunday night and hear Jack Benny or they'd hear whoever it was that they listened to. In, in other words, the entire family had a whole series of things which were common to everybody in the family, no matter what the age was. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the, other, the third or fourth medium that they had available was the movies. And the family went to the movies usually en masse. So the whole family would go to the movies, and they'd see the same movies. And uh, even if somebody did go to a movie uh, on his own, it was usually the same type of movie, and uh, usually at the same movie house. So ultimately, the family had a kind of unity of mediums. Well, that began to change rapidly in the 1950s. Uh, Television came in, and at the first blush, everybody in the family sat and watched TV religiously. And uh, that was it. I mean, they, they, they watched TV, and the radio was, was used primarily then at that point as a, as a kind of supplementary medium. 
It, uh, it, was a, it was a medium that guys would use to hear the time once in a while in the morning. That was about the extent of it. There was a whole period there where that was true. Well, then uh, a, a group of kids came along to whom television was not a big deal because they had never known anything other than that. In other words, they were born after television had come into the house. Now, that was back in the early 50s. It's hard to realize it, but television has now been in many houses for over a quarter of a century. <laughs> so uh, here was a kid born in a house with television. So it wasn't a big, uh, it wasn't a big uh, uh, continuing uh, novelty to him. It was no more of a novelty to him. Yes, I see, Jerry. It was no more of a continuing novelty to him than, uh, say, running water or any other kind of convenience. He just accepted it. Well, he halfway through the, the 50s and maybe the early 60s, where it happened, it's hard to know. But one kid went up in his room one day and turned down this little thing that had been hidden up in the attic <laughs> that they used to listen to. And he began to tune around on it, and all of a sudden he heard a whole world that nobody downstairs knew about was going on. And uh, he turned a lot of other kids on. Wherever this happened, I don't know. But anyway, it began to spread. And very shortly, you found millions of, of people, young people all around the country, totally involved every night up in their rooms to listening to this thing, radio. And, of course, the people in radio began to be very much aware of that. And so they began to do specific things for them, including various types of you know, music, one thing or another, and so within, a, within about a 15-year period, the population began to separate into two groups. One group who sat squatting every night in front of the tube, and the other group who skulked away, usually feeling a little guilty about it, because his medium was very rarely written about. Not much is done. Uh, the New York Times hardly even recognizes, the, even to this day, the existence of radio. And uh, he felt, uh, gee, you know, I'm the only one. What's the matter with me? How come I don't dig Ed Sullivan? And, uh, yeah, it's a curious kind of uh, guilt that you get because you don't dig what everybody else is digging. And so he would skulk away and he would listen to his radio. And, of course, within that context, a whole series of people began to grow within that radio area that became national figures in that second group of population. Among them, oh, all kinds of people I could name offhand. Uh... Uh, of course, uh, you know, people like Farber and so on down the line. And they began to be carried by various college stations. For example, my radio show is carried by some 45 college radio stations around the country. I doubt very much whether the New York Post is even aware of this, nor cares. So you began to have, and then, of course, they began to develop their own newspapers. Uh, so you found that in the th same house, one kid is re the kid is reading the Village Voice and the father sitting there every night reading the Wall Street Journal. And uh, gradually, their entire series of cultural uh, figures and cultural points of, of contact began to drift apart until finally, uh, it even followed into the case of, say, Playboy. A Playboy magazine, one group reads The New Yorker and another group reads Playboy. Uh, and they rarely crossed lines. So ultimately, you find two groups of writers even are developing. The guys who are known internationally, by the way, in the, in the pages of Playboy, and those who are known in the pages of The New Yorker. So ultimately, people can hardly talk with each other. 
Uh, I've gotten hundreds of letters from kids who say that, uh, kids, when I say kids, I'm talking about college students and that, they're not kids, who say when they bring up, for example, my name uh, as a writer, they read me in Playboy, in a, cl- in a class in English, and this is usually taught by somebody who grew up under a different set of uh, beliefs. He, he was of the Harper's, Atlantic Monthly, New Yorker world. He says, often the guy in the class the, the, who's teaching the class never heard of me. <laughs> who is this, you know? And the entire class, on the one hand, knows and has read everything I've written, and the teacher who's teaching the class has never heard of this. So there's a gap right there. They can't figure out, well, well how come he's never heard of this? And so there's a, a curious resentment begins to develop. The teacher resents the fact that the kids are not interested in the New Yorker, and they resent the fact that he's not interested in Playboy, which they read. And so you find this curious gap that beginning to grow all over the world. It's not only here in the, in the States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. And uh, so I suspect that the, a large part of the gap between people today, uh, the, the so-called cultural and or slash generational gap really is a media gap. And so the, the, the parent who has never really read Playboy, he thinks it's a sex magazine. You know, it's a magazine that has this terrible fold-out. Uh, he's never really read the magazine. He doesn't have much to talk to his kid about who has read the magazine, and incidentally, the kid rarely shows much interest in the center fold-out. This is a thing he doesn't even doesn't do much to him. Uh, and so the two of them have, have kind of drifted uh, into two different media. Uh, one's reading the New Yorker every night. The other guy's upstairs. He's he's going over the latest piece that, uh, say, uh, Nabokov has got running in Playboy. And the two of them have little to talk about. And so now, in the connection with uh, college radio, you begin to see this, this kind of thing is reaching a fruition where the, the uh, radio station is beginning to reflect attitudes of people of uh, the growing crowd in colleges. And they don't see radio the way the kids just a few years before them. In fact, the guy who might have just graduated last year who thinks of radio as this rock station. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is rock radio has had its day. Uh, And uh, among the growing crowd, they're far more interested in the human voice saying things or doing things than they are in the continuing sound of a reverb and a moog and uh, somebody uh, keening endlessly over the sound of a, of a Fender bass. So that's another, another, another thing has changed, you know, another great thing has moved on. And uh, within a few years, well, I'd say within 18 months, you're going to be hearing a lot more in various uh, above-ground media about the death of rock. What happened? But a lot of people still think it's there. I suppose people still think Benny Goodman's coming back, too. I mean, you know, uh, wherever you go, there's always that lag. But somewhere out in the night, uh, some kid is operating a a preamp, and he's beginning to get ideas. So look out. Look out, gang. Things are happening. By the way, I'd like to, before we leave, I'd like to thank WPRB for sending along these great little excerpts of some of their stuff they've done. I hope you found it funny. And uh, in the few months, uh, next few months, maybe I'll have a few other excerpts of various stations around the country. College stations. These are non-commercial, usually. Uh, some of them have a little commercial policy. Others don't. But they're all interesting in one way or another. And this is WOR New York. We have coming up Lester Smith in the news.